you have a program called manhood training. Mm -hmm. What's your definition of man? My definition of man, I would say, well, first I would say that I think historically we've defined manhood by what it's not more than what it is. Um, so that's the first thing. And then I think the second thing, every definition we have of manhood is relative to other people or other things, right? So I would say I agree with that statement and then, but I would twist it, I would change it, alter it a little bit and okay. saying, we usually define how much of a man or if you're a man by like, whose ass you can kick or I get more women than X, Y, and Z or I have more money than X, Y, and Z. Right, it's always in relation to what somebody else is or isn't. Whereas I think what it should be is more affirming and just what you are on its own, right? Okay. Unrelated to what anybody else is doing or not doing. Like to me, I'm a man because I'm self-defined God defined and I have a set of principles and things that I abide by that I don't let other people alter or determine mm. um, we're social beings everything we do is going to have some impact by other people yeah but ultimately I am I'm confident enough in what I believe in but also open to learning and continuing that that journey. These kind of relationships that get disturbed when we don't take the time to know what it is to say, to know how to The man everybody is listening to is a son, is a community leader. Mm -hmm. He is a mentor. Mm -hmm. He is a Hampton University. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Pirates. <laughs> every, every time yeah. I know I'm, I always got to throw that in. God fearing man. Mm -hmm. God loving and respecting. and I like that better than God fearing. I got you. Yeah. God loving and respecting. Yeah. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. And uh, just a good dude. You got any kids? I haven't asked you that yet. No, okay. I don't have kids. So I was going to say father. I could, like, <laughs> everybody got a lot of hats, yeah, man. Yeah, you know, yeah. so I, I like to honor all of the ones that I am at least aware of. Hermione Wilson. Yes, sir. This brother came to my attention through my beautiful wife. Um, she went about a year ago to an event that you were there, like a Capoeira maybe, yeah, you, you had brought the kids there. Mm -hmm. um, I hate saying kids. I feel like it's so <laughs> the young people, yeah. the, young, the young humans mm -hmm. to the event. Um, and she, I remember her coming back home 
and was like, you got to look this dude up. Like, this, this program that he's got going on is amazing. I was like, what, what is his name? Who is he? And I went online and started looking, and I uh, saw the, and this was a year ago, I think, September, okay. as I was going through and looking. And I stuck a pen in it, and I was looking, and I was saying, okay, brother's doing some awesome work. Brother's doing some awesome work. I didn't know what you looked like, because like, it ain't like you all up in the videos. You ain't the ditty <laughs> of, 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 right. of, of manhood training, right? Yeah. So... Yeah. You're doing your thing, but and um, a video was posted uh, about, I think you guys were, it took a trip over to Africa, somewhere in Africa. Ghana, yeah. Ghana, and I was like, man, this is a power. I was like, it's time for me to tap back in with this brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were able to make it work, man, which is, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, you're really, you know, like a new term people use now talking about being outside. I'm outside, who's outside? Everybody like- yeah. Outside. You outside, bro. Outside. Yeah. You outside for these kids, for these babies, for mm-hmm. for for God's kingdom. I mm-hmm. feel like, man, like you really, you really connecting and doing some beautiful things, man. And I wanted Appreciate to use it. this as an opportunity to highlight, to acknowledge the work that you're doing, mm-hmm. add any level of visibility that I can. Absolutely. Um, to the work that you're doing and, and maybe, you know, encourage and motivate someone else to start something or come, you know, support what it is that you're doing. Absolutely. Um, so let me read something real quick okay. about the, it's founded in 1980. Mm-hmm. The manhood training rites of passage process is designed to nurture develop and empower the spirit, mind, and body of young men of the African diaspora. Mm -hmm. It is also designed to prepare our young men to assume responsibility as tomorrow's husbands, fathers, leaders, warriors, role models, entrepreneurs, and mentors. Mm -hmm. The objective is to prepare our young men for the challenges to come both internally and externally. It is our mission to guide, love, equip, and train our young men to carry the torch and continue a legacy for future generations. It's about one of the things I heard you say in the in, in one of the uh, one of the the brothers was saying as a mantra was, "I keep God first in my life. Mm-hmm. I study to know myself. Mm-hmm. I think for myself analytically and critically." Mm-hmm. I always see the pathway in knowledge and wisdom. I respect everyone, especially my parents, family, and community. Mm-hmm. I respect and protect women and children locally and globally. That's it. That's a pledge that was written by one of my mentors in Silo Ure. He passed away, uh, I guess, about three or four years ago now. But he was one of the people that uh, was my mentor with learning how to be a mentor. And so the first thing you read was our mission statement. And that a lot of time went into that, um, creating that with the guys who, the other barbers in manhood training. Uh, we spent about, we spent hours literally coming up with that mission statement. Um, just because it's important, right? It defines, sets the tone for everything you do. And you can always come back to that as to be like, why are we here again? You know, 
um, to remember, you know, what you're doing and what you're here for. How many kids are in your program? So we actually just finished a cycle. Uh, so we going, we've been going in two-year cycles. It's a, I would say it's a, a qualitative process. Okay. Right? Um, where you're, you're spending time getting to know the youth, um, getting to know them personally, and then allowing them to know each other collectively. So think of it as like a cohort or a pledge line, right? Like I, I'm class or, or a school class, I'm class of 2023 of man okay. training. Um, so we just had about eight young men go through the process. Um, we took them to Charleston, South Carolina um, for their final crossover. Um, I feel like I should explain what rights is overall real quick. Please. Um, so you have mentoring, which is, I would say, more individual focused, right? Teaching somebody how to be their best self. And then you have rites of passage, which is, is also mentoring, but it's different in that it's about reaching a new phase of life. And I would say there's a spiritual aspect to rites of passage that may or may not be in mentoring. And then there's a community aspect in rites of passage. Whereas like now you are an accepted member of our community. So now you have a responsibility to be this for our community, to be a productive and positive member of our community, right? We acknowledge your growth. And so from that perspective, it's not just your family, right? It's, the, it's your teachers, it's your, the, the, the members of your congregation. They're, they're coming to celebrate your transition from, in this case, uh, what you would consider a boy to a young man, for mm -hmm. example. Um, and so rites of passage, you may have, you hear of it in other traditions, quinceanera uh, in Latin tradition or mitzvah in Jewish tradition. But what people don't know is that there's an African tradition, there are African traditions, right, throughout the continent that are similar rites of passage, coming of age ceremonies. Um, my mentor I just spoke about, uh, named Encilo, he would, he would always point to Roots, the movie, mm. and how there was a big, the part in the beginning of the movie where they took the young men, they kind of kidnapped them symbolically, right? And took them away from their house. And then these were the warriors, the men in the community. And they took them out in the bush and in the, in the you know, wilderness, if you will, to teach them how to be men, to teach them how to build their own home, to teach them how to take care of their own home, to teach them, uh, you know, what it meant to be productive member of their, of their community, um, to teach them who they are, things like that. Um, so it's been, that was a artistical, artistic depiction, right, of what has and has happened for hundreds, maybe thousands of years all over the continent. Um, there are still traditions in Africa that still 
operate that way. You know what I mean? Um, so Rise of Passage here at Union Temple was an attempt to replicate that level of intention when it comes to like preparing the youth for being a part of the community and letting them know that something for you is different now, right? There's an expectation that you operate differently now that you've gone through this process. We look at you differently now. Now the five-fold purpose of crossover that you guys have is mm -hmm. spiritual development, mm -hmm. teamwork, mm -hmm. faith, mm -hmm. love, and respect for authority. Mm -hmm. Are those kind of like the pillars or that that you that you have built into the the rights that the that the that the that the young men have to demonstrate to get to the other side? Yeah, those are those are those are things they have to demonstrate. I would say the three main aspects of development for them are physical, spiritual, and mental development. Okay, um, and so physical physical development being how you treat your body, uh, what you eat, um, being physically active, things of that sort, um, and then the mental aspect being you know being emotionally intelligent, being self-aware, being a critical thinker, um, being intelligent, studying, things of that sort, reading. Uh, and then the spiritual aspect would be developing a personal relationship uh, with God, but also with others, right? Because that's, that's how we, in essence, relate to others, teaching them the, the divine that resides within them, right? And the divine that resides within all of us, uh, but to start to recognize the divine in themselves first, and then using that as an aspect to connect with their fellow man, fellow woman, um, to see the God in them also. One of the things I like about the um, process, I feel, is that it's, it's, it's putting attention on the children or the young people doing something specifically mm -hmm. like I feel like sometimes there's so much we're so concerned with trying to include everybody and everybody's feelings and mm -hmm. sensibilities that we're afraid at times to tell somebody like no you have a responsibility to show up in this specific way. Yeah. How you do all of that, you can express yourself and whoever the I is in that. Mm -hmm. If you want to show up with blue pants, if you want to show up with pink pants, whatever mm -hmm. it is, mm -hmm. but you got to show up to this space because you have a responsibility and we are depending on you. Mm -hmm. And it's instilling in the young men that, oh, this isn't, as a community, you, as a member of a community, you have a responsibility to show up in a specific way. Yeah. Even if you don't necessarily know what they are, and here are some tenets that you can use to reflect how you show up. Because mm -hmm. it, it's, I don't think some of us as young men want that. Mm -hmm. Even if the frameworks can't necessarily assign it to them, whether the father's not present or it's the mom not really, you know, knowing how, whatever. I think there's a longing for us a lot of times to, to understand that we matter. 
mm. and to and to not show up is not acceptable mm. if you want this moniker of man mm. like yeah you are man because you exist and you're breathing but there's a function that comes along with that role that we as a community are depending on you to be yeah and you're demonstrating that and it builds confidence and i mean it's a the, the, the ramifications or the, the, the being able to do that just shows up in so many positive ways. Yeah, I think what you spoke about is, is, is right, right on point in that there are a lot of young men who want the responsibility to be able to say that I, I am worthy of love, I'm worthy of attention, I'm worthy of um, especially those that have that void, like you mentioned, of not having a father in a home or not having somebody that they feel like is just has their back or in their corner. Um, and so I think for this particular process, there's a balance to be achieved with that, though. Um, I feel like in defining manhood, traditionally it's lacked nuance, right? Or it's, it's lacked... Uh, Agree. Discernment to be able to, to, to say that this is the kind of man I am, right? It was always like, you know, you don't, I don't know, you, you don't know how to fix change your alternator. Yeah, you don't know how to build a chair. Like, you ain't no man. Like, oh, you, you can't know, build your grandma, you can't build yeah. your wife a house like yeah. your granddaddy did? Yeah. Yeah. So, so there are were these structured things in place where it's like, you have to do this to be seen as a man. And I think that evolved into, like I said before, you have to not be this, or you have to, you can't be a punk, or people will tell you, I'm a, I think a lot of people would define that they're a man based on what they're not these days, as opposed to what they are and what they are doing. But your, your, um Your tenants, I think, kind of cut through that mm. and I guess set the stage for a young man expressing is one thing, right? And I think a lot of times we're real focused on expression. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you want to express? Mm. What are you? Mm. That's different than an expression. Right. It, your expression can coincide with who you are, but it doesn't necessarily always have to in the same way that God's love isn't always reflected in things that we can see. But at the end of the day, mm. it's God's love. And that's what's missing with defining your manhood by what you're not, right? Because mm. there's no being in there. There's no affirming of like who and what you are. You're just telling me you're not a punk, you're not a snitch, you're not a, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. You just, but you're not really affirming who and what you are. And so in this process, for us, that starts with the divine inside, right? That I'm first created by God, right? I'm first a divine being living a human experience, right? As opposed to being somebody that is able to conquer others or to you know, get other women or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Completely 
dependent on what you're able to do to or for other people. Do you find it hard to, so let me take a step back. A big charter, I feel, for men now, especially the older men, is to expand the concept of what this manhood and masculinity stuff is. It has just been way too narrow. Yeah. And it's been, let me take a step back. And we suffer the most because of how narrow Bro. our concept of this is. Bro, patriarchy is more damaging to men than men realize it is. Um, obviously, it's has been damaging to women and you know other populations and things like that. But I don't think men realize how damaging it's been to us in a lot of ways. Uh, I would just say, based purely on the fact that I think men get tired of the, the constraints that patriarchy put on them, but they don't have the words for it always, right? That's a good point. So you hear a lot of times you'll hear dads that say they just feel like a wallet, right? Or you'll hear family men say they, they just, because of they defined their status as a man based on protecting and providing, which is, has its place, right? Yeah. But when you solely attach your value to what you have and what you could do for others, right? What, what happens when you... I don't know, you have some medical condition, right? And you can't be there to physically protect somebody. A lot of men don't know how to handle that, right? Because it's like, I failed. Yeah. You know? I can't protect her anymore. Or what happens when you get hurt on a job and you can't earn no more? Yeah. I failed. Yeah. I can't feed my family anymore. And so that lack of depth and nuance is damaging for us during those times where we're not our strongest. Whereas, like, I'm supposed to be my strongest all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's not even real. It's not realistic. It's not realistic. So it's not forgiving. It doesn't allow you to be human and have human emotions. And when you, when you can't have that, I think, in my opinion, is where we overcorrect by inserting manhood into stuff. And I yeah. think that's why a lot of men beat on their women and stuff like that or um, are, are overly uh, narcissistic and toxic and things like that because they feel like they have to push through that deficiency and, and force the manhood into the, the situation. That's what I feel makes your job tough mm -hmm. is because you're taking these principles and this 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 rites of passage mm. and you're superimposing that over the kids existence of dealing with all of this other stuff mm -hmm. that in a lot of ways is counter to it yeah does it feel 
futile at times? Do you get frustrated? I would say, wait, say that one more time. Frustrated with what exactly? So I want to make sure I understand. Superimposing the right. So the rites of passage is a way, is a, so you've got spiritual development, physical development, mm -hmm. mental development. Mental development. Mm -hmm. You've got these three things, right? All of that is the foundation. Mm -hmm. And out of that, a lot of these other things can be so, born. Yeah. But the way society teaches manhood and masculinity mm -hmm. is through those three B's that the brother was talking about. Right. The billfold, the ball field, and the bedroom. Mm -hmm. So with spiritual, mental, and physical development and love and the tenets and a rites of passage, that, that's the counter to that, I feel. Because you can expand on, you can expand on the, you can expand on anything when you're building from spiritual development, spiritual, mental, mm. and physical. Mm. But when, but that's not what the manhood is for today. Right. So you got, you're coming in and you're talking to this 11 year old and saying, hey, there's this new way of trying to, you know, <laughs> think about what it means to be a man and rites of passage. Yeah, you're thinking about spiritual development, mm. mental development, so that. When you do meet a woman who you want to marry or do whatever with, that you've got the you've done the work mm. to show up in the best way that you can. Right. Society gonna tell you, just go get the girl. Mm -hmm. You're basically saying, nah, there's work you gotta do mm -hmm. to even put yourself in a position to feel like you are entitled to that, mm. to that. That, that's what I'm saying is what I feel like can feel can be frustrating at times, especially if you're talking to kids mm -hmm. who don't necessarily have the home support mm -hmm. to reinforce some of the things that you're talking about. It's almost like it's counter. Yeah. I feel like I'm all over the place with my with, with my thought. But no, I get what you're saying. I think that. I would I was I would flip it on his head and say that. It is is more difficult for all young men to have to fit into the constrained environment of the three B's than it is for finding out how to connect with someone mentally, physically, or spiritually. Um, and so, a lot of the I give you an example by what I mean. We have young men who don't really play sports, right? And so for them, there's already an, an, an inadequacy developed. Because mm. they like, I don't really like football or basketball. You know what I mean? I like to. And the funny that you mentioned that now is because I think that it's much more acceptable now to have interests outside of sports. Yeah. More kids are into anime. More kids are into, you know, gaming, doing TikTok dances, or, you know. So... I would even argue that the people who are clinging to those three B's as definition of manhood, they're the ones that are getting frustrated because to them, manhood and masculinity is being assaulted and under attack. I got you. Okay. I see what you mean. Right. Okay. But for a lot of these kids, 
is, a lot of these youth is more liberating to be like, you know, I could just go, I could just go make content on YouTube or I could go edit videos or, you know what I mean? Like the, the, the definition of what you can be for them, right, is, is just, they, for them, they just doing what they want to do anyway. That's just what I like to do. But, but, but what if they're doing that for the B? But what if they what if they creating content for the bedroom and for the billfold? It's possible. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's possible. I think that there's always going to be. I think what's interesting is how these traditional ideas of manhood are going to or are not going to sustain as these different avenues come into play, right? Um, and so, do you see that with the kids now? Yeah, I think you, I think you, I think you see the, 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 the one thing, the one aspect I could say that is just passed down effortlessly, right? I would say that all men are conditioned to be homophobic. Really? Yeah. I would say that because the worst thing you can do is be a punk or a sissy, right? And I'm saying that that's the, the G-rated version. Of right, 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 right. Uh, and so from an early age, there's a culture of like, you know, I ain't no bitch or, you know, I ain't gay. Oh, that's gay. Or, you know what I mean? So I don't think that they're all conditioned to be hate people that are gay, right? But conditioned to disassociate themselves from anything that could be rem remotely close to gay. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm not saying that I have a room full of kids and they like will beat up a gay kid. <laughs> no, I, like got that. You. Yeah. I got you. But, you know, they are scared to eat bananas because they know that it's going to be a joke in the room. You know what I mean? Okay. And, and they are scared to wear certain things or, you know what I mean? And that is still being passed down. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. I think there is a... a there is a... In some spaces, there's a lighthearted nature to, like, joking about it. Like, oh, man, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, pause or, like, you know, I don't know, some... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. stuff like that. Like, um, so that is this, but there's also, I would say, other side to it that's, like, s still there that they just... It's an opportunity for unlearning or, or, or for self-awareness, right? Where... Um, being able to have discernment and being like, you know, the pause jokes are the pause jokes or whatever, but teaching them the same time that, you know, somebody in here may be struggling with their expression of sexuality, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So just be mindful of that, you know what I mean? Um, as we're having our regular discussions or, or discourse or things like that. So, so 
Break down the program for me, man, or the rights. And is it is it broken down in, in like specific functions or things that the that the young men do to get to that after that two year mark? What 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 does it consist of? So first day, there has to be a level of commitment, I would say, uh, and so that part can be challenging at times because you know they have sporting leagues. They have school, they have things like that. Um, so we, when we have our orientations, things like we let parents know, we let the youth know, like this process is not gonna be for everybody in terms of, uh, cause, and the reason it has to be like that is the knowledge is progressive, right? So the, one of the first things we do when we meet with the young man, the first time we meet them, we have them do a vision board. And the reason we do that is to teach them about the power of affirmation, about the power of, you know, envisioning who and what you're going to be, right? Um, and then the, the next level of that, and the first thing we teach them is that they are divine, as in addition to all of the other stuff they want to be, right? Typically, when they start a vision board, it's all material stuff, which is cool. You know, cars, watches, I want to have you know, they might have a cutout of Rihanna, somebody look like Rihanna, you know what I mean? Like it's all status symbol kind of stuff, you know what I mean? Um, but then we kind of, as a, as a progression on that, right? We're like, okay, so find things at a vision board. For, so for the next iteration of your vision board, find stuff that's intangible, right? Mm. So now we teach them what intangible means. And so now they start to associate, you know, what are the qualities, right? What is my life going to look like outside of what I'm driving or what I'm wearing or what I'm making or what sport I'm playing? But like, what do I want my family to be like? Or what do I want my you know, character to be like? What do, people, what do I want people to say about me you know, when that day comes or you know, what type of person I was? So it's progressive knowledge, everything we do. Um, is building, like you said, on those three pillars. So it really makes it important for them to be present for that, you know? And, and that way we can, like I said, it's a qualitative process so we can kind of track their growth and get to see the growth in them personally, but also collectively as a group and how they're doing and what they're responding to, things of that sort. Do, do the kids have, how, how do you pick the children, the young people? It's an application process. Um, and that most, most of the time is steeped in basically just, you know, getting, getting people who are serious about being a part of it. Um, so that it gives you, you have something that you need to do, right? Because that's the, the point of all of this, we're teaching them that in order for you all to cross over into the next phase of your development, there are things you have to do. To do. Right? Um, so we start with that. Like, you have to do an interview. Um, you have to fill out an application. And um, you have to pay, like, you know, small dues or whatever. It's like 100 bucks a year or whatever. Um, and that is to try to attract the people who really see the value and really want to do it. Um, as opposed to people who just think it sounds nice yeah. or are just looking for something for 
they care to be occupied with for a few hours, you know, on the weekend. Um, and so I would say the application and then the commitment um, and the communication, honestly. Um, and that's for everybody, like the, the young men, the parents, the barbers, the mentors, really just having uh, check-ins. We encourage them to check in. We have an activity we call, call checking in. Um, and so what we would do sometimes in the beginning would be to have them fill out to write, you know, what they're feeling or what they experienced at school on a piece of paper and put it in the bag and it's anonymous so nobody knows who submitted in the circle. Um, and you get all kind of stuff that comes out in that environment. Um, but then you, you get to a point, and this is why that commitment is important, because they're learning together, they're getting familiar with each other, where they get comfortable enough to just, they don't need the bag anymore. They just say, like, this is what I'm dealing with at school. Mm -hmm. Or this is what happened to me, you know, with this person I'm dating or whatever. And this is how I feel about it, or I'm not sure what to do. Um, and so that puts them in an environment where they are able to be their authentic selves, which is what a lot of adult men struggle with, right? Uh, speaking about their feelings, speaking about what is or isn't happening in their lives right now in an authentic way. Um, so I think that is the next level of the next evolution of manhood that I think we are still trying to figure out, right? Uh, how to discern, how to be emotionally intelligent, self-aware, um, vulnerable, uh, things like that. How, how do you deal with that stuff? Therapy. So you, you do therapy? I do. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's one way. I would, uh, sometimes I write. Uh, you consider yourself a vulnerable cat? Yes and no. I would say being emboldened in my manhood, right? And, and what I determine, why I feel like I'm a man is learning how to speak my truth and be okay with that. Even if somebody else might perceive it away, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say outwardly facing in a public space, I'm not the most vulnerable. I've gotten more vulnerable as I've become more confident in just my own expression of my manhood. Um, but I'm learning to be more vulnerable still, you know, with my closest relationships. Okay. And I think that development is is important and I think it's, it's, it's something that's taking place with like my closest friends circle, my family, things like that. Um, so I would say yes and no. Because um, it, it um, I know a lot of people, man, who grew up in the church, bro, mm -hmm. and whose parents were preachers, mm -hmm. big time, you know, this and that and the third, and that voice about what you should be doing and how you should be doing it mm -hmm. and the family and legacy and blah, blah, blah. Like that stuff 
can be in your head. That voice can be so loud sometimes that you forget sometimes what your voice sound like. Yeah. And uh, and people on the outside looking in aren't even really factoring that into like that individual's journey. They just looking at a bunch of superficial stuff that, I mean, it's important, it, it, it matters, but it's like at the end of the day, you know, one of the, one of the most manly things, I talked to my godson about this, one of the most manly things you can do, mm -hmm. stand up and look somebody in the face and tell them who you are. Yeah. And deal with whatever come with that. Mm -hmm. Even if it's your mama, mm -hmm. even if it's me, whoever it is, like you, you gotta get in real good practice of doing that and dealing mm -hmm. with whatever comes. Cause just cause you do it, don't mean people gonna like it. Don't mm -hmm. mean they should like it. Right. Cause they also get to be them. Mm -hmm. But like you were saying before, regardless of the regardless of the ramifications, no matter what happens as a result, and that that uh, that's difficult for people who come from families who uh, are successful in the limelight or have like this perceived legacy that they have a response or they feel responsible for maintaining in a specific way. Yeah. So salute to you, bro. Cause I, I, I know, I mean, obviously you ain't got to get personal with it at all, but I understand. Yeah. And I, I would say that it, there's been both pros and cons, I would say, cause there were times where I may have a teacher who would say, I know your dad, you should, you should know better. Right. And so on one hand that would suck. Right. And be like, <laughs> dang, I'm just, Laughing and joking like everybody else. I get <laughs> uh, but at the same time, sometimes, not everybody, but sometimes there was, there was love behind that, right? Mm. So they was like, I'm letting you know I'm paying close attention to your yeah. development, right? Because I know, you know, about you, you know what I mean? Um, and so... There was pros and cons to it, I would say. But I think that, that's funny you asked me about that vulnerability because I think being, having that level of attention definitely made me shrink for sure. Uh, as I was going through adolescence and things like that, I wanted to be away from the limelight. Um, I knew that there were things that I could do that were more public facing, but I just like, I don't want to you know, open myself up to that level of scrutiny or, or things like that. Um, but to what you said a minute ago about standing up and declaring and affirming who you are, that's been our history when you think about it, you know, as black men, right? Um, black men being bold enough to, even in the face of death, you know, the protests and Tennessee, where Dr. King was killed for, you know, the I Am A Man protest. Like, that's been the, that's really the only thing you control, really, mm. is yourself. Yeah. So when you lose agency over, you know, who you are and what you are, then, then what, do you, what do you really have left? Yeah. That, you know what I mean? Because we talk a lot about being, a part of being grown, like you'll hear... Somebody say, I'm grown, I can do whatever I want to do. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is about doing to the point that I think we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. 
But what we're doing, even though we're grown and we can do whatever it is that we want to do, we rarely do whatever it is that we want to do. Right. We only do a few specific things. Yeah. We don't do whatever we want to do. Yeah. We do specific things. Yeah. Ball field, mm-hmm. bedroom, mm-hmm. and billfold. And most of our actions are centered around trying to figure out how to do something within one of those three spheres. And I think, you know, a part of acknowledging that we are a part of a community and a culture mm-hmm. and you're being influenced by things that are outside of you that don't necessarily serve your best interests. Mm-hmm. So if, yeah, if you can, if you can do anything you want to do, why do you think you want to be a rapper mm-hmm. as a goal mm-hmm. and not a scientist? Out of all the things you can do because you've grown, you want to be a rapper. Mm-hmm. You want to be a ball player. Like there are reasons why we're going after these while we want to do these specific things. And then you come, a, you come across somebody like Amani who says, hey, look, do these other things, but there's no social incentive to do though, like to be a stand-up human being. Yeah, you'll get a few people in your circle will care, but you're not going to get clout from your homeboys for not sleeping with a woman. Mm-hmm. who wanted to sleep with you mm-hmm. because you feel because you feel like she's not in the right place and you're right. not in the right place. Ain't nobody going to give you kudos for that. Right. You don't get no reward. You're going to get a reward for going through with it <laughs> yeah. and then whatever happens from that happens from it. But, yeah. you know, the incentive structure is completely different. And, and that's one of the things I feel the spiritual element adds to it is that, like, your rewards are coming from somewhere else yeah you've got these social pressures you were you know social beings but there's there's got to be something greater than that that we have to focus on and and i feel like the the reminder that that spiritual connection is the real juice in the squeeze of what it is, of life and what it is that you got going on mm. you know you get you get the chance to reflect the god that's in you when you treat your fellow man better. Exactly. You get to reflect that. Right. You know, you get to, you get to demonstrate your commitment to God mm. when you forgive somebody who your first thought tells you not to forgive. Mm. You know, to put yourself in a position to understand where somebody else is coming from. Mm. Oh, you get to reflect God in you with that. Like, that's your payment. Like, being able to reflect God. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, I ramble with some of the stuff sometimes, but... And I think a lot of those things, so that a lot of those most philosophical things, we, we give them, right? And some of them, some of the young men are mature enough or wise enough, even at the age of 11, 12, 13, to, they'll go right there with you. Mm. You know what I mean? A lot of times it's us that think that you can't go there. The kids are not ready for certain conversations or, or whatever. But they'll meet you there a lot of times. Not all of them, but a lot of them are a lot wiser, a lot more intuitive thinkers than we give them credit for, honestly. Um, and it's really just giving them the opportunity to feel okay expressing it. Yeah. Because, like you said, <laughs> if it's not involving the three Bs or if it's not involving this socially accepted 
uh, forms of masculinity or whatever, a lot of guys will shy away from those aspects of themselves because it doesn't fit into that, those rigid boxes. And then when you don't, when you don't exercise those things, it's, it's like muscles, right? When you don't use it, it can't develop. Yeah, it can't. So you have kids who, 11, 12, 13, who are, 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 are very wise, are very intuitive, are very empathetic, are very so socially and self-aware, but they don't get to exercise that parts themselves, right? And so you can't even really quantify the growth or the community develop, development that we are missing because of those things are not being encouraged at young ages and young men. And that can be... So how many, so how many great thinkers never realize their potential, right? Because, because of that. They're not able to feel inspired or, or right there's a it's like you gotta rap or you gotta play ball or you gotta be yeah. lawyer or doctor right and especially in the black community we have a very specific list of acceptable very specific successful things you could do and be um and i don't i don't know that other groups identities have that same they may i don't know i'm just speaking and i just don't know um do you is is how do you feel we deal with like empathetic boys now like the like the brother like this is how i feel like i was mm -hmm. i could feel mm -hmm. stuff around me mm -hmm. And I was tuned into my feelings in a way that I didn't feel like a lot of other people around me were. Wow. And I got criticized for that. Because mm. it's like, suck it up. Yeah. Don't do that shit around here. Mm. Better be a man, go do this or that and the third. So then you start, the feelings don't go away. Mm -hmm. They're still there. Now I have to either hide them, and you know when you hide anything, it turns into something else. Right. And so, a lot of my empath empathic behavior showed up as sexual prowess. Mm -hmm like physical aggression, um, violence in certain instances and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, if you go back, if you hearken back to the little boy right. who had these feelings, mm -hmm. I just needed somebody responsible and connected and aware enough for me to be like, let me help this brother through how to process these and manage these emotions as opposed to I'm the same way, bro. Have me push it down. I'm the same way. To somebody to be like, that's a, a gift. And yes. Instead of a burden, right? And so, how does that gift translate into, you know, your purpose or your reason for being here? Um, 
But instead, what we often see is from an early age, you know? And a lot of times, it's people thinking they meaning well, right? Yeah. Like, stop yeah. crying. Yeah. Or like, stop whining, you know? And it's like, it's a six-year-old boy. What you? Yeah, he's six. <laughs> what you expect him to do? <laughs> like, it's going to come a time for him to, you know, learn how to push through things, but he's five. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, so not being able to express that even at that age, again, just like we just talked about, it doesn't develop, right? So as an adult, when he really wants to demonstrate his feelings, but because it, he hasn't matured that aspect of his thinking, he don't really know how to articulate it, right? Mm -hmm. And so now, not that I'm excusing it, but now he's, you know, lashing out, right? He, he don't know, he doesn't have the words or the language to say, you know, that doesn't make me feel good or that the way you did that hurt me or, or you know what I'm saying? But all he's, all he's developed is a, is a way to, you know, try to make other people feel the pain that he doesn't really know how to articulate. You know what I mean? Or, or, or things of that nature. Um, so that, that's, that's something that uh, is very interesting. The only time guys, I think, are allowed to show emotion is when they maybe talk about their mom or I'm trying to think of what else. Uh, very, very limited set of circumstances. Kids. Yeah, yeah. And so we all learn the same devices. We all learn the same oppressive structures or the, or the oppressive uh, yeah. devices, right? So I think a lot of times, sometimes you see in the podcast sphere now, I think you see even a lot of women, right, who are reinforcing uh, some of this hyper-masculine just like yeah, yeah. Stuff, right? Um, and so it's, it's always going to be interesting. I think life is about balance, right? Do I think that people should be crying at every sunset? <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe not. But, but do I think you need to be able to empathetically connect with your folks or your family or even a, a stranger sometimes? You know what I mean? It'd be like, that's, that's a human being right there that's going through that. You know what I mean? This is why I feel, man, the feminine energy is important. Mm. Because I got most of my help mm. managing that stuff mm. from women. That's what I was saying earlier. Like a dude, not a single man helped me navigate how to interact from an empathetic standpoint mm. with this stuff. Even some of the, even, even when certain women have been hard on me in certain instances. Mm. Um, I think it would have been more helpful for me to have a man energy 
helping me navigate some of these emotional connections that, that I would have. I don't know if I don't know if feminine is necessarily the right word to use mm. for the opposite of like the masculine energy that I had. I just I just felt like there were multiple, like there was this much that I could process in an interaction, but I only knew how to express half of it. Mm -hmm. And this other half was like this big question mark, a gray area of just, I like women. Mm -hmm. That mission statement you read, the first word you said, man, her train is designed to, what's that first word after that? Nurture, I think. Did you say it? Don't Nurture. Lose. Yeah. Because when you think of rearing a child, whether it's a male or when it's a male, very rarely do we use the word nurture, right? Or very rarely do we feel that that's a responsibility as a male to nurture. But I believe that it is. Um, one, of the, one of the, I think, if you just think of the way that people are, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you're thinking about the, the boy's development? It's, it's discipline. We associate discipline with rearing with young men. But when it comes to young women, it's much more of a nurturing, it's much more of a like caring. Um, and I mm. believe that young men need that same nurturing and caring, right? Because that's what's gonna enable them to demonstrate that in their more developed relationships later in life. So that space that I was just talking about where mm -hmm. I felt like I could process half of it in the other space, nurturing could have helped with that mm -hmm. is what I'm hearing you say. It could have helped with it or it might have been nurturing itself. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Or because I never felt nurtured as a kid, bro. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that you use that word, but that's not a word I would ever use to describe my childhood. Mm -hmm. And a lot of guys wouldn't, right? Even, even sometimes I've had friends who were raised by single mothers. And they, you know, it's hard on single mothers, right? They have to play so many roles, so many hats. But even some of them feel like maybe because their mother felt the need to be the disciplinarian, disciplinarian too, someone. right? Yeah. That maybe they didn't have as much nurturing. Yeah. You know, they couldn't have the good cop, bad cop thing yeah. with their parents or whatever. Um, huh. So maybe some of that was lost in, in, in that having to, and her having to make sure he was a strong young man, right? Maybe left out some of the nurturing, who knows? And, 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 a, and, a, and a father, I, um, I was talking to my homeboy who was on here, mm. uh, life, and he has two, three sons. Mm. And I remember asking him a question, we were talking and I didn't, I don't know what made me think of it. I was like, when is the last time you had a gentle moment with your sons? Mm -hmm. And I don't know what, and he, he looked, cause it's, you know, even the word gentle isn't 
a word Tighten that, up. like, you're like, hold on, man, you mean gentle? Was like, everything, and you're like, you yeah. feel like, and, and he was like, yeah, man, that word ain't a word we use a lot when we talking about men interacting mm-hmm. with other men. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think men, fathers, are giving themselves permission either to be those things. Because a part of what, if you are, if we are impasse mm. and we have a vocabulary, because mm. to me, I think it's about intelligence and vocabulary. You, you have to, you have, it's not just enough to have one without the other. You've got to, you really need both to communicate. Mm. And this language, and all this is real time, by the way, so I don't, I don't even know if it's true. Yeah. It's just me just that space that I was describing, when you use the word nurturing, Mm. did make me feel like, or visualize, that I could have captured a broader percentage of what I was feeling Mm. if I had that nurturing aspect. And I was raised by a single mom for the most part. Mm. My dad was around a little bit, but you know, to the point that you you can't, you can't be you can't be everything. You know, mm-hmm. you might lean more to the disciplinarian side, mm-hmm. you know, because you just don't have the energy I to keep them alive. They got, yeah. And that's more important than loving this little. Mm, yeah. you, 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 you know what I'm saying? Keep them alive. Keeping them alive. That's yeah. loving them. So. It is important to remember that as men, we need to nurture other men. Mm. Yeah, like. Put it this way, I think I think that a lot of times, to the example I just made, there's there's a mentality that every little boy just needs to be punched in the chest, right? And he'll be all right. You know what I mean? Whereas that that there's no nuance in that, right? There might be some young men who you punch in the chest or you say, get your shit together, and they be like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And they, they are better for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But there are some that you might have to have a conversation with. Yeah. And to tell them you love them. And to tell them that you care about them. And to tell them that, you know what I mean? Or it's all right to, you know, that you got rejected. Or, you know, your dad ain't here. But, you know, I love you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I I care about you, even though your dad ain't here. You know what I mean? And so, for some people, that might get them to be their yeah. best self. That might get them to 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 have make sense of what they're going through and be like, you know what? It's gonna be cool. You know what I mean? So, traditionally, manhood has lacked that nuance of being Very like, so. this is what you need. This is what you need. And, you know, y'all might need two different things, but that doesn't make even one of y'all less of a man. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because I had to chastise you and I had to maybe love on you, you know what I mean? That doesn't make it any, any, any one or more or less, more or less of a man. And that's where I think the expression things come in. Express, express however you express. Mm-hmm. But you are a man. 
express however you want to express, mm -hmm. but you are a man and that man has a function. And some of it I feel does is in contrast to the feminine energy or of a, of a, of a woman. Mm -hmm. like it, it, it's like, how can you have a left if there is no right? Mm -hmm. Like that, a left just sitting there with no right is, I don't know what it is, but I just feel like it's probably something else. I think women have, of all the things we're discussing about men and masculinity, we are so far behind women and their journeys with womanhood and femininity. And the, the reason I say that is because for, for men, this is new, right? Us having these conversations about like, well, what is manhood? Or is that enough? Or is that too much? But women have had to contemplate these things for the last, for decades. They've constantly had to reinvent what womanhood is. They've constantly had to be affirming and say, I can go get a bank loan. You know, I can buy a house. I can get a career. I can make my own money. You know what I'm saying? They've, they've constantly had to figure out what womanhood is over and over and over again. And I think for them, they have a, that's, I think that's why they have a lot more comfortability and it just being different stuff, right? You have women who are like, I don't need to have kids to, to be a woman, you know what I mean? Or, they, or I don't need a husband to be a woman, or I don't need to cook, or you know what I mean? I think they have a, they have a lot more liberated thinking when it comes to that than men do, because a lot of these conversations for us are newer because everything was just cookie cutter. It was just like already set in stone. Uh, I, I agree. Mm -hmm. Like to assert, like to like this point here, which mm -hmm. is, I feel like sometimes the women have been spending so much time talking about it mm -hmm. that they've excluded the importance of the man mm -hmm. in the importance of its contrast to the definition of the woman. Okay. It's like, okay, now we just don't even need a man now, especially mm -hmm. if we're talking about the spiritual development. Okay. Because I, I, do, I do think it's probably the same for the women. So now you get to say, okay, you don't need a man to get along. Okay, let's talk about what these rites of passage even are from a woman's standpoint. Mm -hmm. Once you remove all of the, that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. You still need oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. something counter to that mm -hmm. to really validate this thing of what it is. So, of course, you can be a woman without being a mom in the same way that you could be a father, a man, mm -hmm. without being a father. Mm -hmm. But to, to, I feel like a lot of where the women's redef, redef, redefinition is coming into play mm -hmm. is almost saying... I'm that even without men. Mm. And I think a part of our journey as men even is, is, is trying to acknowledge that a significant part of the definition yeah. includes the complementary nature of the woman. Mm. Like that, that, that's also there 
as well. And the women's side, I say this sounds so ridiculous sometimes for some of it, but I think they're like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't need a man. Because mm. we're incentivized now mm. to be at these ends of the spectrum oh, with one another. And mm. to, so much so to where we don't even have to cooperate even at a certain point. Here are my cutoffs, here are my cutoffs. Here's where I make this money, I need you to be whatever, and I need you to do this. Yeah, so I guess I was speaking to, so I didn't particularly mean the population that feel like, you know, we don't need men in society, whatever, that kind of, I wasn't necessarily speaking to that. But what I was speaking to is that they're more comfortable out of necessity, right? I got you, okay. Because they've had to raise boys yeah. by themselves. They're more comfortable leaning into, when they need to channel the masculine parts, because right, both energies exist in the universe, so they've been more comfortable, and maybe not any more comfortable, but they've had to by necessity <laughs> yeah. to lean into those masculine sides sometimes to keep us alive, right? Mm. To keep that single boy alive. Um, whereas I think if, if we want to advance as a community, collectively, it's going to require men to start to think about some of the same things. How do I access those understanding and caring sides of myself? so that the community can advance. And I'll give you a perfect example. I'm gonna ask you, I'm gonna ask you in the form of a question. How, how does a man protect a woman from sexual assault? I would have, do you want me to try to like answer it? Yeah, you can answer. Give me your opinion. Or, yeah. by, by not committing a sexual act against a woman. Okay. I would agree with that. Definitely by not being a rapist, for one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> by not being a rapist, first of all, right? But I think that on the whole, we have this mentality of the protecting part being, I'm going to just go beat his ass after it happens. I got you. When it's already done. The damage is done already. Yeah. She's already had her personal space safety violated. Mm -hmm. And now all you're doing is making yourself want to feel better by yeah. making him feel whatever you're making him feel. But I believe if you, if you could tap into the, those caring and loving aspects, right? Where you and just like women checking into their masculine side. It might not always be comfortable, but you might have to talk to your daughter or your goddaughter about sex. As much as it might make you cringe and squirm, you might have to talk to her about the people she's around and, you know what I'm saying, what, what the people are like that she is attracted to. You know what I mean? It's hard. So... So I'm imagine saying that protection comes before the offense, right? And so if you're unable to access 
the caring, loving, nurturing sides of yourself to be able to have some insight to give a damn about what is going on with them, their romantic lives, whatever, before it happens, you're removing yourself from the opportunity to protect them at all. Because maybe you could have told her something beforehand. Yeah. That she would have been like, I don't know, this thing, he, he a little too, you know what I mean? Maybe I need to just be careful with him, you know what I mean? Because he's, he's, he's demonstrating signs that maybe he's just here for one thing or maybe he's just around for other motives. So and the inability or the unwillingness to access those feminine, caring, nurturing sides or whatever is, in my opinion, holding us back collectively. I got you. From being able to make that to really be protectors, right? To really make the the women feel like we got their back and we willing to sit and listen to them and talk to them and connect with them on that level. Have you heard about the woman man that got hit in the head with the brick? I think I did hear about that. Okay. Yeah. I don't know all the details. Yeah. But apparently there was this woman, for people who don't know, mm. who got hit in the head with a brick. She was having a conversation with a dude. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently she was being disrespectful to the guy saying some wild stuff or whatever the case may be and there were and the guy threatened to pick up a brick and hit her if she kept talking crazy so the girl kept talking crazy dude hits her with a brick then she starts complaining about how none of the other men stepped up for her and stepped in Mm -hmm. And a lot of my homeboys, and I've been hearing a lot of conversations about how we put ourselves, how we as men should be putting ourselves in positions mm-hmm. to defend women no matter what, mm-hmm. even if the woman is wrong. And so should we be extending ourselves and our safety to include women who might not be behaving in the best way mm-hmm. or to deserve it. And then you start talking about do all women deserve protection when this woman out here is smacking dudes or mm-hmm. getting physical and talking crazy and this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about that? Do all women deserve protection or the brick plot. Oh, well, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> However you want to answer, bro. I believe everybody deserves protection. I believe everybody deserves to be safe. Um, now, somebody being deserving is a slightly different conversation of like, should you insert yourself and subject yourself to potential harm. And I think that's just going to be a case-by-case scenario. Um, I think the world we live in now with cameras and stuff and all of that is, it has made things like this bigger than life, right? Where we're all talking about it, having think pieces and stuff like that. I could say that I know that's somebody's daughter, sister, whatever. And would I like other guys to step in in that situation that I don't know? Hell yeah. 
And that's, that's it. We're empathetic. That's my empathetic mind, all right? And, but on the other hand, there's also this aspect of, you know, do you just want to subject yourself to having harm come to yourself or the other guy? Because we know that when, 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 a fight, when a physical altercation starts, you don't know where it's going to end. Never. You know what I mean? Somebody could end up losing their life at the end of that struggle. You know what I mean? And so, I think this is why I gave the example that I gave, where we look at protection through a strictly uh, relative lens, where it's like, as if that's the only way to protect, right? Um, I think and I believe that the first thing we need to do, just like not being a rapist, right, is to not be perpetrators of that kind of violence. And to let other brothers know, other guys, that that's unacceptable. I tell the, the young men I mentor all of the time, I'm like, remove yourself from this situation because you're going to lose if you stay. Yeah. You're either going to get your head beat in by her and look crazy and feel crazy, or you're going to harm her and you're going to lose in both scenarios. You're going to lose. So I think that we need to be louder as men on the, like, you don't, you don't need to put your hands on her to get your point across, right? You don't need to put your hands on her to, to have whatever you, that, that guy that picked up a brick because he felt disrespected, he couldn't handle it. Ultimately, right? Somebody mm -hmm. else might've had a camera around. He like, I look like a punk, I look like a bitch right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so just like we mentioned earlier, to salvage that feeling to him, risking whatever he was risking by hitting her with a brick was better yeah. than that little boy of being embarrassed and being everybody pointing their fingers and laughing at him. You know what I mean? And so that's because, in my opinion, we're not developing the range of emotions early on. Like, right? That's, that's straight from his childhood. Somebody was like, oh, you got to go. You got to go see so-and-so because you ain't no, you know what I mean? But, but so... Even, that's definitely a big piece of it. Mm. But I think, it, I think we also have to add the, the element of the perceived value of the black woman mm -hmm. in that space too. Mm. Like, why do we, why did the brothers standing around mm -hmm. feel like it was okay to watch that, a mm. couple of the dudes even offered their response to why they didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And there some of them were along the lines of like, she's always starting stuff. Mm. She was calling for this. Mm. She wasn't doing anything to, you know. Make it better. She was actually making it worse. Mm. 
Mm. Like this is what this, this is what they're saying. She's doing to contribute to what happened, and it's. I feel like it's a value perception thing to a degree. Like all of them were like, "Oh, okay, well she's." I'm used to seeing women mm. having a certain perceived value in spaces. Yeah, and if she's conducting herself in a manner that has low value from my perspective, then whatever happens, happens to her is deserved. Mm. So it's not like I'm coming to the table as looking at a black woman saying, I don't give a what she do. Mm. We don't do this mm. to women, mm. period. Mm. Because the value's already as high as it can be, yeah. she just don't might not see herself or might be might not be conducting herself in a manner. Absolutely. I don't perceive that right. when I look at the black woman. Mm -hmm. So then I get to base it on her behavior. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And we as black men, I feel have a responsibility. Mm -hmm. To remind our women in our community who they are and of their value. And sometimes I feel like that means jumping out the window when, especially for somebody who you don't necessarily think deserves it mm -hmm. on the surface. Mm -hmm. Ain't this what Jesus been doing? Ain't this what all of the folks been doing mm -hmm. the whole time? I don't want to be that dude, by the way. Mm -hmm that's jumping out for a woman who's acting like that. Mm. I don't want to be that guy. Mm. But if the, if, if the universe aligns me to that parking lot that mm. night mm. when that happened, then that's what I feel like my duty is at that, at, at, that, at that moment in time. Do I fault other guys for not? But I know, kind of. <laughs> but I do recognize that the only reason why they are allowing that to happen Mm. Is because of what they feel that woman's perceived value is. Mm. Yeah, like Michael Meg said, the most disrespected person in America is a black woman, right? And so that messaging and condition, conditioning we've all received one way or another. And I, I, I feel like what you just said, right, is just saying that I don't care what she's done, right? She don't deserve that. She don't deserve that. That is what I was saying, that we need to be heavy on that messaging and proactively, right? And, and not reactively. Um, you have to teach young men not to be rapists, right? You have to teach them that they need to carry themselves in a certain way that if it looks like it could be perceived that way, then you need to just back up, you know what I mean? You need to teach them that when the police show up, their, their bias is gonna assume that you are the perpetrator, yeah. that you are the guilty party. Yeah, that's how I set up. You know what I'm saying? So when you're teaching them, actively teaching them that before the situation comes up, the hope is that in that situation, 
you know, they're, they're able to better uh, respond to that situation. So what I'm saying is, yes, it's good to teach black women what their value are, but it's equally or more important to teach black men what their value are and that that's crazy that he did that. You know what I'm saying? Who's responsible? Who do you feel is responsible? Mm -hmm. The black woman not knowing mm -hmm. or the black man not acknowledging? I don't think they stand on their own. I think they probably overlap at some point, for sure. I think that people are not, no, people may not know because they may not have been treated that way. Like, we, we don't know what her rearing or her raise or her situation, background is like, or any black, any person, but black woman specifically, right? So they may come from a situation where they were not valued, you know, where they were not treated like they have value. Uh, and so I don't know that I can blame a person for not knowing they have value if no one's ever told them they've had value or they've never been treated as if they have value because society writ large, right, has conditions us that black women have no value. Do you think we will be able to communicate that with sexy reds running around? <laughs> uh, how, how, can we, how can we walk and chew gum at the same time as it relates to that kind of respect? How, how can we communicate and tell women that they are everything? Mm -hmm. I, can I can say that sexy red and whoever, they have a right to express themselves the way they want to. as long as they understand the perception that people are gonna have or whatever, and if they're okay with that, then cool. Like, that's your life. But. There we go. There we go. I'm ready, I'm ready. But the butt is coming for, this might not be headed where you think it's going. Oh, shit. <laughs> okay, all right, my bad, go ahead, go ahead. The butt is coming from, even if she is, popping mass and, you know, rapping about booty hole brown, that still don't mean that she should be assaulted or hit with a brick or, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Like, that doesn't give you license to do things to her that she hasn't consented to. True. Right? But if, if she is telling you to call her booty hole brown and she's okay with you calling her that, then that's a different story. But she's not rapping about, you know, hit me with a brick and sexually assault me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, so, but she is rap. Okay. This is why our music, it, it's, it's really hard to talk about value, mm -hmm. to talk about black people, young people, men, women, without talking about the music. Yeah. Because it's so reflective and um, 
connected to everything. It's it's one of the things we did not understand, bro. Mm-hmm. In the eighties, in the early eighties, in the mid eighties, in the nineties, is what the long term ramifications of that type of music was going to have on our culture. Mm. It was good, it was expressive, it started out at this one thing. How long did we think Mm -hmm. that we were gonna talk about, how long did we think we were going to subjugate women, Mm -hmm. talk about how they're nothing, Mm-hmm. Talk about how we use them, objectify them, how money's over everything, and yeah. how they're only good for one thing. Yeah. How long did we think we were going to do that mm. without that coming around full circle? Mm. So we talk about what this women's value is. It's reflected, we're, we're, we're reflecting their value based on how we treat them and the images we propagate and the ways that we even verbalize we treat them. Mm. We're indirectly telling them about their value in the same way that we're indirectly telling us about our value when we talk about how we could smoke somebody and kill them or whatever the case may be. That comes back around at some point in time. So it's the perceived value of black women globally and even within our own community can only be as high Mm. as we allow our images of them to be expressed and how we treat them. I don't, I don't think it can go any higher than that. Because the whole, the whole transaction is performance-based to a certain degree, and that's all we've been telling women mm-hmm. that they're good for. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So you're only going to be good for this one thing, saying it's all the other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know how women can hold a high value in a culture that presents them in the way that we do, Mm. even if it's just entertainment. I I don't Mm. know how we do both in the same way that I don't know how we can talk about loving men and valuing black life when we talking about how much we smoke them at the drop of a hat. And we we glorify that. I don't don't know how they seem counter to each other. That's the only reason why I don't think her being in a position is going to help because like she should be protected, but at the same time, Mm. that's the behavior that's being propagated about how black women are. Mm. Well, I think that there, I think what, what do you choose to align with? Right? So, I'm gonna bring it back to the young men in manhood training. So we we I tell we tell them like we listen to 21 Savage, you know what I'm saying? That don't mean I'm sliding with the ops, you know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't mean I'm sliding on the ops, like that doesn't mean that I'm like, you know, like know the difference between entertainment and real life. You know what I mean? Like I, I know women who are lawyers and stuff that, you know, 
we went through college and they was backing that ass up the juvenile and they like sexy red now, you know what I mean? Are able to differentiate between entertainment and not entertainment. Now, it's up to the artists and what they're pushing out and us who are rearing these kids to for them to know that what they're pushing out. Some people are like, I'm trying to be like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's your thing to deal with. All I could do is, if I am mentoring a young lady, right, to be like, I can only point it to other examples of black women. You know what I mean? There's Gabrielle Union, there's Erica Badu, there's Michelle Obama, there's a spectrum of womanhood that black women are putting out. You know what I mean? That, you know, just like men, you, want, you have to dis- decide and define who you are and how you want to be viewed, but understand that how you present yourself is going to, it may or may not attract what you want, right? So, for example, me opening up about my struggles with mental health or anxiety or things like that, somebody might hear that and be like, that nigga's a sucker. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's soft. Yeah, yeah. But he's supposed to be able to just handle his. Yeah. You know what I mean? So my choice to share that opens me up to somebody's perception of, like, whatever they want to turn into. Same way with Sexy Reg. She wants to be, feel liberated that she can talk and rap about the same things that men rap about, right? I, just because I'm a woman, I can be just as whatever on the radio as dudes could be. But if I'm into a, a younger lady, I'm like, just be mindful that if that's what you're pushing out, there are going to be guys who don't, can't make that distinction, right? And they, and they are going to see you as like, oh, she easy. Like, you, that's light. Go, that's for her right now. She anything. She easy. You know what I mean? That don't, that don't mean it's true. Yeah, it don't mean it's true. But I'm just saying that that could, that is more than likely, I would say, the perception that a lot of guys are going to have, especially if they already, like you said, assign a lower value to women or, or value the woman only connected to what they could do for you sexually, right? That's probably, you could be in a nun outfit and some of them might still be like, oh yeah, I'm about to try to, yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You could be fully clothed and dressed like a nun and some of them might still be like, yeah, that's what you mean. That's what your value is to this space. You know what I mean? So, as much as that guy hit that woman with that brick, mm-hmm. and as much as the woman did what she did, mm-hmm. I'm always looking, I'm always bothered by the people who film. Mm-hmm. More so, or the people who just stand by and watch. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that I feel like my gaze always gravitates towards. Mm. And, and it reminds you, like you, it reminds me that there's an ass for every seat. Like there's, there's something out there that's going to gravitate to you if, you, if there are enough eyes on you. Mm. And 
that's the struggle that I feel we end up, we have in these scenarios because there has to be something that gives the thing value. Yeah. That the people, observers, then say is valuable. It's like with Ferrari or whatever. I think I was watching something on Ferrari. They don't let people mod their cars or change. There's something that they have going on with their cars to where they're real strict about who can do certain things and make modifications to their cars. And if they end up doing something wild to one of the cars or mods it out and, or goes against their design language for what they did with that car, mm-hmm. they won't sell them a car no more, mm-hmm. no matter how much money they have. They're like, this is what we got. This is what this means. This is why we have it set up for this. So they protect that yeah. in the ways that they feel that they know how to protect it. Mm. They're setting a standard for what this is. And that's the part that I feel we struggle with as black is the standard of value and how we perceive it, not based on what the person is doing or not doing. They're a human being right. and they deserve protection because they are mm-hmm. that. Right. Not based on what they do. Intrinsic value versus instrumental value. There you go. There you go. Whereas your value hasn't changed. My perception of your of how valuable you are is what ebbs and flows, right? Yeah. But that's why we start with in man training, we start with the self. You determine Kuji, Kwanzaa principle, Kuji Chakali is self-determination, right? You determine who you are and what you are. God determined first who you are and what you are. I think Marcus Garvey had a quote that, that uh, God and nature first made us what we are. And then out of that creative genius, we determine who and what we want to be. Mm. So it's like, I am divine first. I'm intrinsically valuable because I'm here, because I exist. I am a being. I am, right? That affirmation alone is powerful. I am. And that's how all this connects, right? Because most of the definitions of masculinity are related to your position against something else or or uh, your proximity to something else, or, or what you can do or be to someone else, right? That needs to be more emphasized with the self, with the divine first, like I am, you know? Like even if my job is taken away, or if my women is taken away, or if my car is taken away, then, then what I am, am I, you know what I mean? That, that unchanging intrinsic value that you still, you, your true self, you still what God created you to be. I'm glad, man, you are a voice for these young boys mm. at the age that you are, mm. at the age that they are. Mm. When you trying to ask, when you trying to answer those kind of questions in your 30s and 40s and 50s, Mm-hmm. it look way different. Oh, yeah. You know, it's harder. Not to say it's impossible, but it's just a different endeavor, man. Mm-hmm. You got so much more time to unfold 
when the right person is asking you that kind of question at 11, 12, 13, 14, mm. you know, it's it, because it's a seed that just gets to grow into whatever God lays before you to have an experience of and then water that seed. It's just, it's a, it's a beautiful role to play, man, and to, to move with that level of intention and love for these young people, man, is a, uh, I'm glad you're out there doing the work, bro. I appreciate it. It's hard work. <laughs> I know it's a lot tough. of your stuff is donation based and everything, man. How can, uh, how can folks, folks tap into what you're doing? What do you, what do you need? You need, uh, resources, you need labor. What do you, what, what, what kind of work, what can we do to help? I would say definitely volunteers is always a help. Um, donations definitely go a long way. Um, we are at Manhood Training Inc. on uh, our, you know, Facebook, uh, Instagram, X now, I guess it's called. <laughs> um, but I would say what we need is people who are, I would say, have something to contribute. Uh, I think that we all have gifts. We all have purpose. I think we all have time, even if it's just a little bit of time to contribute. Um, whether you help with manhood training specifically or not, I think that the lesson that the ancestors have taught me personally is that to just you know, cast down, put your intention where you are, start where you are, on your square, you know? Look around you and, and figure out what is it my part, right? Um, and at this larger, I would say, dynamic of community advancement, right? It has many different facets, many different lanes. Uh, this was the avenue I chose to pursue in this time of space, mentoring youth. There are people who are protesting. There are people who are making laws, writing laws. There are people who are, um, you know, fighting at, any, at every avenue. What you're doing here, um, pushing out that message, the media, the power that the media has. Um, I would say specifically we need people who are willing to be proactive and, and, and bring dedicated energy to to advancement. Um, they're willing to help us develop these young men, uh, willing to think outside the box about how we do that. Um, right now, we're in a space where we are uh, contemplating shifting our model to be more uh, far-reaching and expanding to reach more youth and thinking about how we can do that while maintaining that qualitative aspect. Where you're, where you're getting to know the young, the youth, and getting to know them, like who they are and what they're about. Um, so the, all of these things are challenging, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, but nothing's new. I think I'm a strong proponent of history, studying history, what our ancestors did before us, um, and thinking about how and what they did can be magnified or illuminated or built upon. Um, so right now, for example, we're thinking about how we can make the journey back to Ghana, back to Africa, right? Um, 
the prices has exponentially. Yeah, they dumb now. Yeah, when we went in 2019, it was probably a third of the cost that it was to go there this year, just for a plane ticket. Um, and so, but things happen the way they're supposed to, right? So we, I mentioned earlier, we took this most recent group to South Carolina, and that was a full circle moment. Um, because on, on the side, across the water, in Ghana, there's the door of no return, uh, which was the, the final pass through uh, that the Africans, enslaved Africans, would go through before they returned to America. And in South Carolina, a lot of, I didn't know this until this summer when we were planning the trip, but there's a range, some people say four and 10, and I've seen the numbers high as seven and 10. Seven, four out of 10 or seven out of 10 Africans that were brought to America came in through the Charleston, South Carolina port. Really? Mm -hmm. So I've seen the number as low as four and 10, which is still a huge number. It's a lot, 40% yeah. 40% or 70%, right? Um, and so the likelihood is that after going through that door in the return, there's a strong possibility that they touch down on the Charleston shores, right? So it was kind of a full circle moment to get the other side of that mm -hmm. equation. And I want to talk about this too before, we, uh, before I get too far off track. Uh, we, we definitely emphasize a heavy part of what we do is African history, African-American history. I feel like African history is African-American history. Agreed. Um, but there's a lot of people who are like, I'm tired of slavery. Why are we always talking about slavery? And, and, and I think that they take issue sometimes with the way that we, I guess I would say, emphasize that in, in the historical aspects of, of when we learn uh, history. But I would say that what, what better story is it, right? To, to talk about the first black millionaires, right? And the fact that they're, sometimes they were slaves or their parents were slaves. Yeah. Doesn't that make the story that much more powerful? You know what I mean? For sure. That they literally did not own their own body. And then 50, 60, 70 years later, they were, had valuations of a million dollars. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think it's, a, it's important to focus on these other aspects of entrepreneurship, of triumph and things like that. Absolutely. But to tell that story without the context of where they started from, yeah. it does it a disservice, right? Yeah. We, we, we talk about it all the time, how these, these uh, dot-com billionaires like, you know, uh, I don't know, Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates, how their parents were already wealthy. So we're like, oh, man. Like, yeah, you yeah, know what I yeah, mean? You yeah. had to get the style with it. Yeah, yeah. my but, people was a slave. Exactly. Like, that makes it 100 times better that uh, um, I think one of the, I forget his name, is escaping me right now, but one of the senators in South Carolina was hmm. actually a slave and like actually hijacked a, a Confederate ship and sailed all the way up into Union territory. I can't remember his name. It's, I'm going to kick Really? Myself. Yes. 
Like, hmm. like you're, doing, you're doing, in my opinion, you're doing a youth a disservice by omitting these stories, right? Like, that should be a movie. You know what I'm saying? The Nat Turner movie. I didn't, people were like, oh, another slave movie. I'm like, this is, this totally, is about rebellion. Totally different. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to see that. I mean, of course, there's some pain and, and there's uh, shame and things associated with, you know, seeing a lot of the imagery. And I don't think it's healthy to subject yourself to too much of it. But I do feel like they have to know that because I feel like that, that is what gets the young woman to know that, like, you know, Sexy Red is cool, but, like, there's be well. all of this stuff, right? <laughs> there's all of this stuff that we yeah. have gotten through, have triumphed through. And if they could do that, if they could come from little rags to holding seats in public spaces and offices and going to the out of space and all mm -hmm. of this crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. And a hundred, a hundred years before they were, 120 years before they were the slaves? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's two generations. Yeah. By average lifespan. It, it, I think the challenge with some of us as black people mm -hmm. is that we, history has, it can be used to free Mm -hmm. the minds. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think we struggle with transitioning from like being confined and mm -hmm. defined mm -hmm. by it, mm -hmm. as opposed to using it for opportunity to expand and build off on and like grow. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, so yeah, this is what these other people did. How do I use that to connect these dots to take what it is that I wanna do now exponentially higher or just, you know, marginally, whatever it is, let me build off of it as opposed to just sit on what it is now right. and then be able to uh, regurgitate mm -hmm. facts about this person's life. And then you're like, yeah. no, you got to use it to, to bounce, to jump off to something higher, to something different, to something more, more relevant. Critical thinking. Yeah. We teach our young men that if they can organize a bus boycott without social media. What can you and, do? And damn near bankrupt the city's yeah. uh, coffers. What, what could y'all do with what one you hashtag? Do? You know what I mean? What could y'all do with one social media campaign that would be uplifting and building to the community? There you go. It might be the same thing just in the digital space. Yep. It might be, you know, we ain't buying, you know, whatever no more because they don't value black people. It might be don't, don't, don't shop where you won't get hired. Looking at, oh, we, we going through every corporation in America. If they don't got a black face in there, we boycotting them. And that's where I think the thing where, like when the Bible says nothing new under the sun, you go back because somebody didn't been through this before. Mm -hmm. So check back and see what they did, mm -hmm. update it, use new tools, new methods, mm -hmm. because you got new, you got, you got, you have updated things now. So mm -hmm. use those things, look and say how they did it, mm -hmm. and then take the formula yeah. and freak it to get what you need or to help 
spread. And it happened in 2020. These people were terrified. Yeah. Everybody had in racism and every other kind of slogan they could find because they were terrified of the financial ramifications of being seen as a dinosaur. The world is moving on without you. And so that potential exists, but having them learn where they come from and what their ancestors did and what they're capable of and teaching them how to think critically about like, you know, how do you apply that to today's time and space? It's powerful. Thank you, bro, for your time. Thank you for your energy. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your love for our people. Mm-hmm. For doing your part, man.